there, I'm Dr. Amy King, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is the most important medicine. If you're a physician or healthcare provider, this podcast is for you. This is where we learn about trauma-informed medicine and ways to build resilience in healthcare organization. And we do this through stories, the stories of yours and other professionals and patients. We listen to transform medicine with compassion and curiosity about what it means to be a trauma-informed provider. Every time you join me, I want you to hear practical information and leave with tangible tools that you can use with patients right away. Today, I am talking with special guests and friends, and I have to say superheroes in healthcare, um, nurses and RNAgade founders, Karen DeMarco and Entre Boyd. Usually, I have to say, I have to read people's bios and then ask them to reintroduce their whole selves um, because I get this like academic litany of information. Yeah. Um, so this is the first interview where I actually um, have these incredible guests. You've submitted bios that do just that. So I'm going to read your bios to the folks that are listening and try not to lose it while I'm laughing um, because they're so fabulous. So here we go. Uh, Karen DeMarco is a bit of a wild card. She believes that authenticity serves as the laxative for connection, communication, and inspiration. Curiosity is her superpower, and creativity is the machete she uses to cut through the antiquated bullshizzle of how the world says things ought to be. When she can't think of a word to say precisely what she means, she'll make it up. Uh, but since this mouthful doesn't quite cover her curriculum vita, she is a nurse, a transformational coach, a published health researcher, educator, and a foul-mouthed humorist. Although Karen is a girl with a dragon tattoo, she's really kind. The things that make her leap out of bed in the morning like some deranged fairy godmother whose wings were crumpled by too many my pillows, is helping others to achieve their greatest level of health, happiness, and human potential. Whew. Okay, about that. Okay, one. And Antra, Antra is formidable. Um, like you're as grateful to have her by your side as you are relieved that she is not on the opposing team. Yet those beautiful blue eyes will start pissing tears if you do the least kind thing to her or show her a TikTok of a baby cow. Sorry. You're totally fine. Antra's insecurity inducing professional resume include being a Navy veteran, 20 oh years of clinical nursing experience in the ER and wickedly talented entrepreneur in the emerging role of private patient advocacy, which was cultivated from the compost of challenge, triumph, and transformation that her life has so abundantly provided. Those who experience, um, those experience have shaped her way of seeing the world. And as she says, the status quo is a snooze fest. What puts fire under my ass is shaking shit up, getting a nice glass of red wine and hanging out with a list, a tribe of troublemakers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Best bios ever. Um, if people are listening, that's the only kind of bio I want submitted from now on. I'll do yours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just have to hire Karen. Totally. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining me. Yeah. So good to be here. Yeah. Like I said, before you went rolling, uh, we miss you. I know. You're the kind of person you can meet once and start missing. Oh, you're so sweet. That's yeah. so kind. Um, well, any other introduction you want to provide for yourself or or of each other for that matter? I know you're great friends as well as business partners. I know, Karen. I'll I'll say something about you and you say something about me. Okay, are you gonna tell them my new bio? Yeah. <laughs> Karen's got a new bio. It's gonna be a one-liner. Commodore crazy pants. <laughs> on our webs on the website, that's all it's gonna say. Everyone's got this lengthy bio that I wrote. I have to do, actually redo Antres. 
because uh, she feels that the one that you just read isn't up to par with the other ones. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I I'm got like, jealous. <laughs> everyone's like, who's going to write yours? I'm like, one word. One Commodore line. Crazy pants. <laughs> and the only the only body of the bio says, no, we didn't forget the rest. <laughs> that's it period stop full stop we've been laughing about that for weeks (laughs) so you have decades of nursing experience behind you um start off with telling me um are you still clinically practicing why you're not if you're not and kind of where you're at right now in your professional careers Antra, do you want to start sure So I was an operating room nurse for 20 plus years. I served right out of nursing school. I served in the United States Navy for six years of active duty. They kind of grew me up as a nurse. I ended up in the operating room. And from there, I um, once I had children, I got out of the military and then started practicing in here in Oregon um, in a small community hospital and operating room. And it was just really frustrating because I was always the nurse who wanted to have better communication. I was always the nurse who thought things could be better. I was the patient champion. I was, you know, always experimenting with different roles so that people on my team would work better together. And in that way, we would have better patient outcomes. And, you know, if somebody showed up to work and they were just in a pissy mood for whatever reason, it always affected the team. And then by extension, it it affected how we took care of our patients. And I hated that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, like I, I did, I did a whole thing on crucial conversations with the OR staff and that went over like, uh, it, it didn't. It was horrible. They were just like, who is this person? And what is this googly, gooky, crucial conversation shit she's talking? Like, they hated it. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'm I'm not going to stay in a system that isn't willing to, you know, try some things, throw spaghetti on the wall and actually make some change, right? Like we couldn't even really do timeouts in an operating room without somebody reading the newspaper, walking out of a room. And it's simple, right? Like you just stop and say what we're doing to the patient, who the patient is. Well, you know, what, what side are we doing the surgery on? Does the patient have allergies? And there was always somebody, nurse, tech, anesthesiologist, surgeon, who just couldn't get on board. And I, and it just, that frustrated me. And I thought, well, if I can't make change in the operating room or within the system, maybe I can do it by helping people navigate the system. And so I left uh, my, I left bedside nursing in 2017 and me and another colleague of mine started Connected Care Patient Advocates. And basically it is patient advocacy and we help clients navigate um, the, the healthcare system. And what's really interesting about that early on experience as a navigator was we had a client once call and I took the call and she hired me. But the first thing she wanted to know is if I knew what trauma informed care was. And I didn't have a freaking clue. I was like, uh, no, because you do everything that you just said, right? Everything right. That you said about the crucial conversations and knowing our patient and being better communicators and better patient outcome because you're actually knowing them and talking as a team. That's it. That's all trauma-informed care. And I have to say for people that are listening, I think there are so many incredible healthcare providers out there doing trauma-informed work and they don't know what to call it. Right. But already doing it. Right. I didn't, I didn't know what, I didn't have a name for what I did, but to be, you know, to your point, 
I was really able to help her because I listened to her because I took time with her. Um, and so that, that business is still going strong and we're still navigating, uh, helping people navigate, uh, the healthcare system. And then the other thing was that during a year after we started that business, I myself was diagnosed with cancer and then I became the patient. And so there was a whole, like, it was such a, like, you know, 180 to go from nurse to patient and to really see, you know, through the patient's eyes, what that looks like. And I have to say, like, I didn't realize just how traumatic it can be, especially when you're faced with a diagnosis like cancer. And I didn't, and I think I gave it, I didn't give it as much consideration as I do now because I was in, I was in that place. So, um, so it's definitely having that experience has changed my practice in a lot of ways. I think even more so in terms of support that I give people and, and, um, and the, you know, things that make them feel like they're being listened to, like somebody cares about them. It's so easy to get lost in the system. Mm -hmm. I, I want to circle back to that story because I think there's some valuable learning points that people could take away. But Karen, you want to introduce yourself real quick and kind of what you do now and, and how you got to where you're at? Yeah, Commodore Crazy Pants here, Karen DeMarco. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I would say that the why I got that nickname is because, I don't know, Andre could tell you more, but for me, it's, you can't, don't tell me I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will, I, I'm just, I mean, but I'll do it in a lighthearted, humorous kind of balls out way. And how that's looked in my career was, I always wanted to do like, I became a nurse because my mom told me to, you know, I really like my, my history, my, in my youth, I guess my insecurity, there's so much that I couldn't do anything about. And one of it was my own, I thought I would die if someone was disappointed in me, like literally. And that's how I lived so much of my life. And that's part of the long-term story. But when I got of age, like I was always kind of like, you know, buck in the system. Like, okay, well, if I'm going to be a nurse, I'm going to be a super nurse. I want people <laughs> to picture me walking toward them in slow motion in a flight suit with an Aerosmith song playing in the background, you know? So graduated University of Michigan because my brothers went to Ohio State. Mm -hmm. So I had to go to Michigan, right? Not because I liked Michigan, but because I had to, you know, um, and when I graduated, the I was in Ohio and there were no no jobs for new grads in ICU or trauma in the Northeast, but there was a shortage in the Southwest. So that's where I'm going. So I covered my eyes and pinned the tail on the donkey style of a map of the Southwest finger lands on Las Cruces, New Mexico. So I fly out to, <laughs> so I fly out to New Mexico. I drive down to Las Cruces. I follow the blue signs with the white H to the hospital. I lie my way into a interview <laughs> with the nurse manager He's this tall Texan guy, like Richard Roach. I don't remember having an interview. <laughs> I'm like, you didn't. I lied, but I have to leave tomorrow. Can we just talk? <laughs> so he hired me. Um, and uh, that was the beginning of so many adventures. But along the way, 20 years, well, 18 years in uh, trauma ICU and flight nursing. Mm -hmm. um, you, can't, you can't do flight nursing. You've only had two years, you know, year and a half clinical experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like it was always like that. Um, but I noticed along the way through my justice scale off that 
there's lack of common sense. Like why do people with a healthcare professional in their family have such better outcomes? You know, like lower morbidity, mortality, shorter length of hospital stay, less medical errors, because somebody knows what questions to ask. They know the standard of care that should be delivered and they know how to demand it. So I thought that there's a, there's a business in this. You know, if you don't have a nurse in the family, you should be able to hire one. So along my career, I kept trying, like doing little pilots. I'd talk to, you know, deans of nursing schools. I'd do a pilot with a, you know, what, what does this look like? And while I was doing that and having babies and moving around the country, um, this woman, Karen Mershow, whose program that Antra and I went, she failed. She did all the failures that we could learn from. And I went through her program in 2011 and started a private patient advocacy business. And eventually I just embraced the flakery because I thought, oh, geez, I got the nursing thing and I did this. Now everybody thinks I'm a flake because I keep switching jobs and careers and whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go where it leads me. And that led me into corporate wellness. And that led to my own kind of radical remission from all of that people pleasing my whole life wore down my, I was, had all kinds of illnesses and I was really sick um, in 2011 and had a I call it my puddle of snot and tears moment um, on the floor of my master bedroom closet where I learned my favorite prayer. Can I, can I swear? I think I already have a couple of times. Yeah, yeah we're <laughs> my favorite prayer. Fuck it. <laughs> and um, all my symptoms. I just, you know, it's not that I wasn't afraid to be disliked anymore. I just couldn't care anymore because it had made me so sick. Mm-hmm. And in three weeks, all my symptoms were gone. Holy so that eventually went into research of radical remission and what happened to me and how to speak about that. And that went into my own, I did a research study with a uh, John L. Makadam in 2017. It's published in the APA journal, Spirituality and Clinical Practice, where we took a group of 25 people who had similar, well, we both had the similar um, experience and we taught them what we saw about it. And a lot of them also had remissions from things they were sick with for 40 years. And then uh, Andre and I, when we just fell in love when we met, we knew we'd always do something together. So now it's our renegade and all those things are alive. You know, all those experiences are alive in what we do now. Mm-hmm. You know, similar to Antra, when you were speaking, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is trauma informed, right? The, so a couple of SAMHSA principles of trauma-informed care mean resisting re-traumatizing folks and then restoring worth and dignity and compassion. And when you were talking about how, you know, relatives of, of healthcare workers have, you know, better health outcomes, that's part of it, right? Is because they know what to do um, to resist harm, further mm-hmm. harm, and they're restoring worth to their family member, essentially, right? Um, And so to be curious about that, it's, you know, something that we need to make explicit to everyone. So everybody can partake in that kind of healthcare and that kind of advocacy. And no wonder with such compassion and urgency, both of you have that you ended up in healthcare advocacy, wellness, and now educating other health professionals. Let me hear, tell, tell people a little bit about Ariana Gade, and then I want to dive into your stories a little bit more. Want to go, Karen? Your turn. <laughs> uh, well, so we always wanted to do something together and we were, you know, constantly consuming. I get to tell this story now, Karen, instead of you telling that, which is cool. Oh, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, Karen has constantly got the AirPods in her ears listening to, you know, podcasts 
and, you know, YouTube, whatever, like constantly listening to something and learning something. And I'm a pretty avid reader. And so we were constantly having discussions about, you know, all the different things that we were learning. And we'd, I'd sit in a bathtub and talk to Karen for two hours on, you know, some topic. Well, she was walking one day, hiking, actually listening to uh, Joe Rogan. And she was listening to him interview James Nestor, who wrote a book called Breathe. And of course, then went and bought the book and then called me and said, you got to, you got to read this book. Like it's the best. So I went out and got it. And it, she was like, why are we not getting credit for the stuff that we're already doing? And it literally changed my clinical practice. And like an example of that is that, you know, that whole story, his whole story is one of, I'm about ready to have sinus surgery and I really don't want it. And what, what's going on with me and why I don't feel good. And so he took this journey into the history of breath and, you know, he looked at the anatomy and the physiology of breathing and he, he went to Paris and he explored the catacombs to see like how our, our skeletal structure has changed in our face over time. And I realized like, oh my gosh, we take people's sinuses out of them. Like it's bread and butter. And we like, are we really informing our patients that like, we have those, we have that system in our nose for a reason. Like it just, and so it, it was just astounding how just that, that two hour podcast, that book could change how I'm going to inform my patients in my clinical practice. And it just made sense. Like, duh, nurses should totally be getting credit for this stuff because it's changing our practice. And historically, nursing continuing education uh, sucks. It's outdated. It's antiquated. It is poke your eyes out for it. <laughs> That never gets old when you do. No. <laughs> the other piece that you're underscoring, Antra, is the importance of stories, right? We learn yeah. Yeah. stories. And when you were reading that book, it was his story about mm-hmm. sinuses and breathing and kind of going on this journey of discovery. Yeah. And we often don't sit with people's stories, ask them more about what's behind their symptoms and what's going on, which is truly trauma. We don't have time. Yes. My favorite question <laughs> to ask when we do the Renegade podcast, because the story is a Trojan horse through which the information gets in, right? It's, it's education. It's to educar, to bring out that, which is within not you're an empty vessel. So nursing education and so much, you know, uh, professional uh, medical professional education is you're an empty vessel and I have the knowledge and my PowerPoint and my is just going (laughs) to fill the empty vessel. Whereas you tell your story and it brings out, um, wonder and inspiration and a, and a hunger to know more about, Mm -hmm. okay, I understand more about how you work. How do I work? Do I work that way? Mm -hmm. So on the podcast, my favorite story or my favorite question to ask our guest is tell me about something that happened in your life that made everything look different from one day to the next. Mm -hmm. And it's so often because we're interviewing them because they're an expert, they're an expert at something. They have something to teach us about what they do, but it's starting with that question it starts with why they are doing what they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. what it did to change their lives, how their lives looked after that change happened, and now how they're bringing that change uh, to to benefit the lives of other people. Yeah. So, so tie this together with our Renegade. So you were inspired by this book, the podcast, right? And it tell me the next step. What happened? So Karen's like, let's start a podcast. Yeah, it's it's what I've come to call common sense artistry. (laughs) It's um, 
the podcast is the art. The common sense is the medium, you know, it's the paint. It's and and we we're taking it like common sense artistry is how the platform with which we deliver the con, you know, continuing education and the CE credit. It was common sense artistry that created the platform. It was common sense artistry that created the podcast, you know. Um and 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 I guess the podcast is about the common sense artistry, like you, you know, you're you're not you you were such a good guest on the podcast because of the way I just remember the story you told about the little girl, you know, mm-hmm. and when oh you did gosh. that, mm-hmm. instead of looking at a textbook and, and going, OK, I'm going to say these words to you and hope that you get better. Your mind, your common sense went, wait, she's terrified of making a mess. So common sense tells me that her life will get better if I sh- let her see that it's OK and it's safe to make a mess and undo that. That's common, your common sense artistry. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I answered that question. I went no, off on it. <laughs> and that I think we know, right, from child development, from, uh, you know, how we encode memories that we do so through stories. And that's been a culture, cultural tradition in so many ways over thousands of years for folks. So how does that get packaged up in our Renegade? What do you what do you do? So it started with, it started with a a podcast. We thought, well, let's just, you know, let's get our providership for continuing education, nursing continuing education. Let's start a podcast, which Karen and I did with a full, like full speed ahead. We ordered some microphones. I love to tell a story. We, I went down to LA, we sat in this big, huge chair we plugged our microphones in and we interviewed each other and it was I mean we were watching outtakes a couple weeks ago they're hilarious like we had no idea what we were doing but they're the best I didn't know where to to plug in my microphone I have my earphones I have my headphones on and I'm just sitting next to me she's like are you gonna be able to hear her I'm like no (laughs) we had no idea it was so funny Uh, and so it started with that, but then it was funny because in, in healthcare, we make things so freaking difficult and they're comp it's complicated and complex. And it's back to what Karen was saying, like what, what happened to the common sense and nurses, I think generally speaking, use a lot of common sense in their care for patients. They have to, especially if they're taking care of more than one patient or they have a really, you know, critical patient that it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense not to. So so the first MVP went out, the first, you know, iteration of our Renegade, and it was like, it was so hard to get your CE certificate. And I kept, I kept getting on the platform, on the, on the website. And I'm like, I would never do this if I was just a nurse looking for CE. It's too hard. And then our, our tech savvy business um, partner got kind of frustrated. He was like, oh, how hard can it be? Well, we got some feedback from another podcast guest and it was difficult and he got on. He was like, oh my gosh, this really is hard. So the team, the team, the tech team built a web app so that it can store, manage, do everything with your license, your certificates, your, you know, you need an exported report of all the CEs. It can upload CEs from other places. But then it was like, we had been interviewing so many amazing nurses like and and professionals, healthcare professionals like you, Amy. And we we're like, 
we're so uniquely qualified to teach each other stuff. That's really cool. So how come we're not doing that? And then this whole platform became kind of a mall. Let's invite content creators to come on board. And so it's just so exciting because we have content creators reaching out to us now every day to be on our platform. And it's cool because we're making it easy and it's common sense. It doesn't cost tons of money to get your CEs assigned to your content. It's a rev, it's a revenue share. So it, it you know, you're going to be making money once your content goes on board like it, it's just common sense artistry yeah like- there so there you go so like so many nurses love to teach I looked for nurse educator jobs often in my career but I didn't have any experience so no one was going to hire me as a nurse educator because I don't have a master's in education or I don't have experience being an educator so they're not going to hire me well that doesn't make any sense because I'm a really good teacher and I love I'm just pathologically curious and I'm just you know and I love to <laughs> people as Andre as Andre knows um so now common sense is well if you're a good teacher and you're curious then you should be able to teach nurses and nobody should be able to tell you no well we're making that possible and you well, can earn money and Make you know it. what I love about what you're doing in right now it's 2022 right as people are listening to this or we're recording it at least um, and there's huge, really high levels of burnout because we are still coming out at the back end, hopefully, of this pandemic. And what you're modeling is that there are other ways to do what you love and still be in healthcare, right? That there are people who are in clinical jobs and feel like that's all they can do. That's all, you know, in this hospital, in this department, in whatever. And really what you're saying is, no, you can be a teacher. You can be a creator. You can be in community. It doesn't have to look the way that you went to school maybe and were taught how it looks. And so I really love that you've disrupted the space in that way. It's just incredible. Well, Karen, I think, you know, she, we, as we started to develop and, and build this, you know, Karen is the, the copywriter. She's the writer and she's the voice. And there was some sandpaper in her, like, okay, the CE and the education is, is the, the thing, but there's an underlying message. And I think you're hitting on that. Karen, you want to Yeah. Well, there was so much, I I guess it was necessary focus on the business part of it. Um, But there was something niggling at my nervous system as like sandpaper on an exposed truth. I'm like, what is it? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Cause I think there was so much focus on the revenue driving thing and the CE and the whatever. And it was never about the CE for me. Yes, it was, but it was like, that was like a manifestation of the common sense artistry. Like, what is it? And when, when I finally saw it, Antra helped me see it. I can't remember what you said, but I'm like, oh, and nothing changed. But I just saw the CE is a side effect. And yeah, that's how we're going to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. But we need the CE. We need the lights on so that we can give nurses and other voices that may never have been heard before an opportunity to be heard. Absolutely. Not only on our podcast, but also creating content for themselves. Mm-hmm. That, did I say what I, what it yeah, was? Yeah. And, and the, just this else. idea that like uh, Amy, Amy touched on a, it. It's time that nurses in the, in the, in, in our profession stood up 
and took ownership of our profession. No more of this, like asking permission or, you know, getting yourself to the point of burnout or PTSD. Like, no, like we're, we're professionals. We, we should not be part of the bedside charge. You know, there are so many things that need fixing in nursing, but it is up to us to fix it. And I think that was part of that underlying message. Like no more, we're not doing that anymore. We're, we're going to do our own thing and forge our own way. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And and really that's one way that we combat overwhelm. It's one way that we combat burnout, right? Is autonomy, advocacy, mm-hmm. exactly. and taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, and saying, what can I do to change this so that it fits for me? Because the system isn't changing it for me. I'm going to have to start some yeah. change from, yep. from within. Yep. Yeah. And so much of what I've seen, I I don't know when I came up with saying this because it doesn't really make grammatical sense, but everybody nods when they hear it. You only put up with what you think you deserve. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> nurses, oh, bless us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I would say at some point, Antra and I saw our value that mm-hmm. we weren't getting that at work and there wasn't any, we had to create our own Thing that we deserved because it wasn't where we weren't finding it in what we were doing before. Mm-hmm. And I think our Renegade and the businesses we've created before that is evidence that we see that we're valued more. And I guess a big part of what we're doing, not with just a podcast, but the mere fact that we're doing this is to show nurses, you know, to somehow wake them up to mm-hmm. that, which is within them that would. Absolutely. And if they're awake to that, then the things that make you feel burnt out and overburdened and underappreciated would become intolerable. It's just, you can't even do it. You have to leave because it's intolerable. Or you'd stand up and say, no, you'd walk in and say, would you like me to violate my nurse practice act? Does that I'm make here sense for you. to you? I'm here for you. <laughs> I'm here for it. Um, talk to me about this intersection then between recognizing your value and how the two of you have experienced your own wellness, um, both in your journey, Karen, you know, talking about radical remission and in yours, Antra, being a patient. Because as you were saying before, we are, you know, kind of an amalgamation of all of our experiences, right? And so both as professionals recognizing, hey, we have more value than this and also having had really significant life events. Can you share with people like one or two learnings that have really redefined you. Do you want to go, Karen? I, I, uh, oh, so there's not too much dead air. I guess I'll fill it. Um, <laughs> oh. um, when I will just go like the puddle of snot and tears moment when I was too sick to put up. It actually, I woke up to the loud the, the, the white noise of how I'd been living my life that had been making me so sick came down to a loud roar when I did a neuroadrenal test. I was, I was um, getting mentored in how to do testing analysis and treatment by one of the guys who's, he's like Mozart with the stuff. He's one of the best in the world. And uh, I was my first patient. And when that test came back and all of my um, neurotransmitters associated with the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system and my cortisol as the simple sympatho adrenal medullary axis and the HPA axis. Everything was in the toilet wow. PEA, 
focus, uh, concentration and short-term memory. I had dementia. I was 37 years old and I could not, I had a sticky notepad. I called my external hard drive. Couldn't remember anything, but I was so afraid of appearing weak to anyone. I hit it and I hit it and I hit it and I got getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And, um, when he put my test up on the screen and he said to me, you're faking it. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm faking. What are you talking about? He's like, well, Karen, I, I see tests that are 50% better than this and they're catatonically depressed or suicidal, mm-hmm. can't get out of bed, chronic fatigue. Like, this is, you're a wreck. What's happening? And I'm <laughs> like, just <laughs> like, that's what it came down to a loud roar. And I saw, okay, so either I'm going to kill myself doing this for the rest of my life, however long that lasts, mm-hmm. or I have to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, in that moment, okay, I'm going to be alone. I was convinced uh, my husband's going to divorce me. My parents will disown me. My children, I will have no friends and I'm going to gain 500 pounds and I'm just going to be alone. Like I was so convinced in that moment that if I stopped doing what I was doing, that's exactly what would happen. And I was okay with that. And Amy was like, oh my gosh, it's quiet up there for the first time. It's like I met myself for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like who I, I was just, I was okay with just, and then I saw Oh, if I have myself, that's all I was ever looking for in the first place. And I walked around in peace. It was still like not comfortable. Like I'd be baby late to school, you know, with the kids. And Sophia, I'd had poop in the morning and I'd be like, come on, God, we're going to be late. And the principal's not going to like me or give me a bad eye or something like that. I think I was just like, eh, so we're late. And maybe she did give me a bad eye. And no, it wasn't comfortable, but I, didn't, I couldn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, it's just, um, I found the courage to be disliked. Didn't mean it was fun. Didn't mean it was comfortable, but that was so profound. And I, I'm not great at it still. Like it's hardwired into our DNA to want people to like us. Andre and I talk about this all the time, you know, but, uh, but you don't let it stop you anymore from living in integrity with who you are. And you can really, when you do it for a long time, you can feel it. Like you can feel the friction in your nervous system when you're saying yes, when you mean no, or, and it doesn't mean you're perfect. So, you know, I'll do it sometimes, but you can smell it. You know, I love, I love what you're sharing Mm -hmm. because I think I know for myself, when I've gone through those moments, I can feel it in my soul. Right. There's something like my soul is not right. And I know that so many people experience that and they ignore it and they ignore it and they ignore it. And one of the things you're pointing out, Karen, is like, there's neurobiology to what's happening in your body. And so if you're, if you feel like it's weak to admit I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm, I'm, I'm burned out because in medicine, that's not acceptable to say, let's at least look at the medicalized part of it, which is literally inside your nervous system was on fire. Mm. Right. And that can be acknowledged. It can be measured. Um, and it's not weakness. It is a symptom of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, so that for me looked like, you know, it, it looked like um, disconnection. And so I got cancer in 2018 and I had a pile of snot and tears on the floor, picked myself up, advocated for myself, drove my physician nuts, but did the thing that I knew to do and recovered. And I went right back to disconnection, Mm. totally disembodied. 
And in 2020, what is it? 21, I was um, diagnosed again with the same cancer. And it felt like the universe was like, oh, we, we love you, Antra, and we have hope for you but you just didn't get it the first time. So we're going to go ahead and try this one more time. <laughs> and it was last year when I you hear of, me in the back <laughs> last year. Or, and then it was, it was at that point where I was like, Oh, like I have been so disembodied and my nervous system, I had a very traumatic upbringing and I couldn't even admit that to myself until like actually five months ago where I was like, oh, it's okay to just say that, that it was traumatic, right? Like even now it's been a real like journey for me to get in my body because I was so on fire and I know that's where the cancer came from. And that disconnection was a disconnection from myself, right? Like this, this, just this dislike of anything that had to do with who I was. I mean, I was so in my head, I still struggle with it you know, quite a bit, but I can see it. And I think that, um, being a patient in the system and learning, you know, what it's like to be a patient and how traumatic that can be and how you kind of feel like you're being rushed through a system that's just trying to make money and you're just cancer patient number one, two, three B or whatever. Like all of that was really painful, but also, for me, that whole journey through the medical system, through doing through the conventional medical system, and then through doing some non-conventional stuff was part of coming back to myself and being in my body and, and really actually kind of loving myself and feeling it instead of, you know, the lip service that we give to this idea that you got to like yourself, like just in feeling it. And uh, I've been plugged into the main a couple of times where it's like, oh my God, I so love who I am. And then it kind of flips away and, and, and I, you know, get up in my head about it. But I think in terms of, you know, trauma-informed care and trauma, especially in patients who are, you know, dealing with really, you know, hard issues is, is that, um, is that, that acknowledgement that it's hard, that it, that it's like, for me, acknowledging everything that happened before the cancer, my past and the trauma was so like soul freeing for me just to say it, just to say, yeah, it was really hard and it was traumatic. Mm-hmm. I used to always say, you got me on that one. I don't know. why." <laughs> it was really traumatic. I used to say, well, yeah, I had a really traumatic upbringing, but look at me now. I'm fine. I always used to say that and I was just like, no, mm-hmm. it was just traumatic. Mm-hmm. That was what changed for me. So, so I kind of, I tried to operationalize a couple of things you're recommending both of you and then add to this list, right. For other people who are listening, right. I hear, um, stand in the courage to be disliked. I hear connect back with yourself. I hear acknowledge pain that exists and existed and care less. Fuck it. What did I miss? What else would you add to? Um, Well, the other prayer is my favorite prayer. I don't know if you can see it. Stay. Stay. And that is, um, I tell the story when my kid, you, 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 if you have kids, you may have experienced when they're learning to speak and 
adults are looking down at them when they're learning to, you know, walk and talk and whatever. Do you want me to hold you? Do you want me to hold you? And so they think of themselves as the name you, and they also think of the adult as you. So they'll be like, you hold you, (laughs) you hold you. And uh, that's kind of where stay came from. Sometimes you have to be the one to hold you when no one else will. You always have you to hold you. Mm. And that's why before anyone takes vows to anyone else, you have to be able to say, I, Karen, take you, Karen, to be my forever love. I promise to be true to you. I don't always like you. <laughs> that that takes practice, but I promise to be true to you. Mm-hmm. And say is when you feel like you're going to disconnect with yourself because you really don't like yourself right now. You're mad at yourself, whatever you feel ashamed or whatever it is, just stay with you. Mm-hmm. Stay. Mm-hmm. There's so many people right now who will be listening and at the verge of tears as I am hearing that because I think medicine and being a helper and being someone who enters a profession because you love people, um, that it's, you're trained to be selfless. And what happens is that when we stay in a space of selfless, we can lose ourselves. Oh, you Mm -hmm. can disconnect very easily. Mm -hmm. And it has been the most profound experience of my life is to stay. That's been the most profound. I love that you're just reminding folks to just circle back to yourself, Mm -hmm. find your value. It's just, it's transformational. And the, and the really wonderful thing about that is that there are so many portals into that. Like there's not just one way, you know, you can, I found it a different way than Karen found it. You know, she found herself, found herself back to herself in a different way than I did. And there are just so many amazing portals in, so it's not, you know, a a one-stop shop and that's what makes it really fun because it's, it, it, it leads you where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My portal, my portal is always writing too. I have a blog. I haven't posted anything on there for quite some time, even though I've written, but I you know, have stuff, a bunch of stuff I haven't edited, but um, it's the naked lady.com <laughs> naked as in vulnerable, not nude as in without clothing in this instance. <laughs> Um, but it has been flagged as like a porn site. So it's like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, naked, so <laughs> naked ladies. It's not like a 1950s porn site. It's um, but there's a um there's a one of my favorites on there is finding God at the gas station. Mm. And it's like my journey of suckery and finding myself. Like I started out not liking myself or something like that and came all the way back around like. Um, we're all in this, we're all in this together. Good. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to, I'm going to link up to the naked lady on the show notes and make sure that it's not a porn site before I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, one of them, I just, I just reposted one, the birthday fairy about how many years I've shaved off my life on top, on top of ladders, drinking wine, <laughs> decorating my kids' rooms, waiting for them to fall asleep, drinking wine. So I'd stay awake because it like has the opposite effect and like the noise and the crepe paper, <laughs> like, and like, just what is she doing up there? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to circle us um, towards the end here, ladies. Um, 
So I have a couple of rapid fire questions uh, for both of you to, to, to wrap us up here. Um, tell me, what is one thing that people get wrong about nurses? The rapid fire. Go, Karen. They're pushovers. <laughs> That's ah, what they get wrong. Yeah. Um, the tagline to RNA gate is continuing education for nurses who don't just do what they're told. Nice. I stewed over the just because we do do what we're told often. Mm-hmm. Not We don't just yeah. do it, but we're helpful to a fault, self-sacrificing, whatever. But you back a nurse in a corner, especially for a patient or something like that. Mm-hmm. We look all blah, blah, blah. I mean, you have I have seen some. So I don't know. That's a first, that's I could probably think of something better. But no, I just I just thought of that, too. I was like, oh, my gosh. Nobody we'll advocate. Has- <laughs> we'll advocate for our patients until we're yeah. in a utility closet crying because some surgeon told us we were wrong or didn't do it right or whatever. But yeah. we will advocate. Oh, awesome. I know you talked a little bit about this um, in terms of like advice to other professionals as well. But if you could go back, um, we'll start with you, Antra. If you could go back and tell young Antra one thing, what would you tell her? I would tell her to love herself. And I would tell her to mean it, (laughs) not just give lip service to it. I love that. Um, Yeah, it's it's okay if somebody doesn't like you. I tell her not everybody's going to like you. And that's normal. I mean, that simple thing. I thought that everyone had to. I was told that everybody should, Mm -hmm. you know, not everyone's going to like you. I really, yeah, I I really, if if everybody likes you, you're really not doing anything meaningful, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I mean, Mm -hmm. just for what that's worth. I mean, I think people that are doing meaningful shit aren't going to like be liked all the time. Yeah. Even to turn it to a positive, (laughs) like not only say not everyone's going to like you, that's okay. That's normal. But to say, if some people don't like you, you're getting it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, so I think often in healthcare, um, people are intimidated by professionals. Will you each share, Karen, you start this time, one thing that makes you a messy human, one thing that makes you perfectly imperfect? I mean, Jesus, it's going to take a long time to pick one. <laughs> I think shame is my most commonly felt emotion. It's <laughs> like stuff that comes out of my mouth. Um, one morning, my daughter walk she was six years old and she crawled into my bed and she poked at my chest and said mommy your boobies look like pickles and I said that is it after I had made and canceled a breast augmentation appointment I don't know how many times how could I do this it's so vain there's people starving blah blah I just want them back where they were mommy why do your boobies look like pickles because you sucked the life out of them Yeah, most people would say, oh, nurses are concerned about, you know, the side effects and whatever. I, ah, I don't care. I'd rather die of silicone poisoning than have my <laughs> boobies look like pickles. My daughter said, mommy, why are your boobies so long? I was like, time to get another under- underwire. <laughs> um, what about you, Andre? Something that makes you perfectly imperfect? Uh, I think probably the, the insecurity that I carry around the, you know, just, I go in and out of it. And I, I think it's imperfectly perfect because it's a human emotion and we are all insecure. So um, it seems to be a bit of a Achilles heel for me at times, but I also kind of am onto myself. It's like, oh, like I can be insecure and still be, you know, still be perfectly 
perfect. Just who I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Last question. Hardest question. I'm sure it's 11 o'clock at night and you have a food craving. What do you reach for? Um, well, I have to say I am addicted to crumble. I can't help it. And it's Karen's daughter's fault. <laughs> oh, every time I go and get, yeah, crumble. I like the, the sugar, the sugar. I love the sugar cookie, the pink frosting. Yeah. yeah. I haven't tried that one. I'm going to try that one next. Yeah. Okay. How about for you, Karen? Yeah. See, I'm, I'm savory. I could go the rest of my life and not have something sweet, but I need salty, greasy, fatty. So it would be probably like some prosciutto or something. <laughs> Not an cheese. oyster, huh? Oh. Oyster? No, oysters are perfect. <laughs> oysters I and crumble cookies. Those, I couldn't eat those like late at night. Those are like, yeah. Prosciutto <laughs> with or without cheese, Karen? Oh, I mean, if there's some around, of course. No. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, um, I'm sitting here thinking about, um, you know, how many of us have spent time on our master bedroom floors or the bathroom floors, as you were saying. And I just want to say, first of all. I'm so glad you're both here. Oh, this has been so fun to be here. You are lights in the world and shining a bright path for people to do something that fills them up and inspires them. And I'm grateful to know both of you and to be in the same space as you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you. Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing in this space, I invite you to join us in the Provider Lounge, a learning collaborative to build resilience. It's an incredible group of physicians who meet monthly, get CME, and lean into conversations about trauma, resilience, and other tough topics. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you. And keep sharing your own, because your humanity will heal others. We'll talk soon.